Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we Geek Explain it. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is part two in our retrospective series on Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts 3, long awaited game, comes out uh, January 29th, 2019. We got a long ways until then, so I figured in the meantime, between now and then, let's go through every single game in the Kingdom Hearts series, one by one, give you a little retrospective on the games themselves, as well as getting you caught up with the story so that when Kingdom Hearts 3 comes out, you're ready to go, you're ready to dive into this new game. Today's episode is all about the second game in the Kingdom Hearts series, that being Chain of Memories. Now, this is a... this is an interesting game. Uh, there's... I don't think there is quite another game in this series that has people's opinions so divided down the middle. Uh, I could be wrong. We're going to find out as I go through this series. But um, I have seen people on either end of the spectrum saying, oh my god, I love Chain of Memories, or oh my god, I hate Chain of Memories. But the game in itself was an, innovate, was an innovator for the time, and it's story ramifications echo throughout the rest of the entire series so it's just as important as a mainline game really all of the games are just as important well maybe maybe not a couple but we'll get to those as the uh, as the series goes on but uh i figured i'll give you a little intro about the development of the game uh we're gonna go through the gameplay just because it's so drastically different from the first kingdom hearts game uh we're also going to touch on the RE Chain of Memories, the remake for the PlayStation 2 and later collected with the uh, 1.5 remix. And then we're going to jump right into the story. So kicking things off with the development of the game, the game, what the original Chain of Memories was a Game Boy Advance game. I know I'm dating myself. This I remember getting this game after uh, a trip going snowboarding with my dad. I remember running, or we were driving back, and we happened by a GameStop, and we stopped. I checked it out. I saw, oh my god, they have a Kingdom Hearts game on the Game Boy Advance. We gotta get it. So I have a lot of memories with this game. But the game itself followed the action role-playing style. Uh, It was developed by Square Enix, the main contributors to the first game, but it was also developed in part by Jupiter Studios. Now, Jupiter uh, is a smaller company, but they have knocked out their own fair share of games as well, uh, including the pinball editions of Pokemon and Sonic, uh, Picross, I'm not sure exactly what that is, but uh, the biggest game so far that I saw through their development was The World Ends With You. And keep that name in mind because that will come into play later on down the line. Uh, Chain of Memories was developed as a direct sequel to Kingdom Hearts 1. It wasn't going to be some side project that you could totally miss. It was developed during the development process for Kingdom Hearts 2. They decided that they needed an intermediary chapter to kind of get themselves ready for the second game. And it was originally titled Kingdom Hearts Lost Memories, but Tatsuya Nomura decided to change it to match the outline of the overall story, that being the chains of memories that 
our heroes have to deal with throughout the story. And again, we will get into that in a little bit. Uh, it was, like I said, developed to bridge the first and second games, Kingdom Hearts 1 and Kingdom Hearts 2. And it was essentially, it was made to explain the loss of abilities in Kingdom Hearts 2. With all role-playing games that happen to get a sequel, you see it every time you spend the first game building up, leveling up your character, acquiring armor, acquiring uh, abilities, acquiring different kinds of weapons, if that's part of it, uh, throughout the game. And then when you start the sequel, you are back to basics. You have no armor, you have no uh, abilities, no nothing. And... Tetsuya Nomura and the whole development team behind the Kingdom Hearts series really wanted to make a case for why that would be story-wise. Because you see in other games, like you see in like Mass Effect or uh, the Assassin's Creed series, like there's no reason they shouldn't have the stuff that they had at the end of the previous game. So they set out to explain why Sora doesn't have the abilities that he ended the first game with when it comes to starting up Kingdom Hearts 2. Uh, this was also around the time that they decided on a card-based system, trust me, we will get into that more a little bit later, uh, to symbolize Sora's memories. The cards would represent different aspects of Sora's memory. Now, initially, Tetsuya Nomura was hesitant to release it on the Game Boy Advance. They figured that people would look at it as a spin-off game, that they wouldn't take it seriously, that they wouldn't get it, and with it being such an important chapter in the overall series, he really wanted people to go out and get the game. And he didn't think that it being on a handheld uh, gaming platform that people would necessarily want to get it. But he changed his mind because of uh, his actual kids saying that they wanted to play Kingdom Hearts, but they wanted to take it with them. So he decided to release it on the Game Boy Advance uh, to make the process a little bit easier and also to accommodate the hardware in the Game Boy Advance. Uh, they decided on a 2D format translated from the uh, original 3D from the PlayStation 2 and decided on kind of a side-scrolling aspect. Um, there were sort of like 2.5D graphics when it comes to uh, the overall, like the overworld map when you're running around, but generally when it comes to combat, it's pretty much 2D. Uh, he also said that he wanted it to initially be a lighter tone, which is hilarious when you actually look at the actual story that happens in this game, but again, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, Chain of Memories was announced with... Uh, alongside Kingdom Hearts 2 at Tokyo Game Show 2003, just one year after the release of Kingdom Hearts 1. Um, and later on, it was released in winter of 2004 for uh, North America and Japan. And the game was released in Europe the following year in uh, May 2005. Now, let's jump into that gameplay. Uh, it's very different from the first game. So Chain of Memories is kind of a blend of traditional role-playing games as well as collectible card games. So you still get the same level-up experience system. Uh, you level up your character, you choose where your points get allocated, in this case, uh, in health points, HP, card points, CP, or slights, which we'll get into a little bit later when we uh, go over combat. So. 
it is a card-based system. The game is uh, really, really heavy on using cards, and that's even incorporated into the story as well. Uh, cards are used both in combat and story progression, and the game itself is separated into two basic screens. There's a field map and a battle screen. Uh, this is kind of similar to old school JRPGs where uh, you have like an overworld where you're running around, you have random encounters, and once your battle is done, you go back into the overworld. Uh, cards are also used for room synthesis. Now, this means <laughs> it's, it's a little, it sounds weird, but you use these things called map cards. Cards come in all different varieties, and one of the varieties are map cards. Now, these map cards you use to progress through your rooms. Each floor, as you go through the story, has a set amount of rooms, and to progress from one room to the next, you have to use a map card. Now, these map cards will affect both the quality of items, number of enemies, and types of enemies that you will see in each room. And it's separated into three colors. There are red cards that deal with uh, enemy number and types of enemies. There are blue cards that deal with properties of the room itself. And there are green cards that affect the power of the player's deck, whether making it stronger, making it weaker, uh, bringing in uh, friend cards to help you out during your battles, a whole mess of things. Now, there are three main modes in the original Chain of Memories for the Game Boy Advance. There is Sora's Story. Once you complete Sora's Story, you unlock Riku's Story, also known as Reverse Rebirth. And exclusive to the original version on the Game Boy Advance, they also had a battle mode, uh, which is kind of similar to like the Pokemon games, where you would link up with a friend, and you would take your deck against their deck, and you'd battle them. So Sora's story is unique among the three because you obtain cards as you go. This is the mode where you will be building your deck, getting the main meat of the story, and really experiencing the game for the first time. Uh, Sora can build three separate decks. Each is completely up to the player. They can make them as attack heavy, magic heavy, however they want. Um, Sora also progresses from the uh, ground floor, floor 1 of the castle, which again we'll get into, all the way to floor 13. And the second mode is Riku's story, like we said. Uh, Riku plays a little bit different. He, for his story progression, goes from the bottom basement of the castle and makes his way up to the first floor. And Instead of being able to obtain cards and build your own decks, Riku starts every floor with a set deck. He can't change it, he can't um, add anything to it or take anything away from it. But Riku does have some unique properties to his gameplay that Sora doesn't. Uh, namely, he has a dark mode, which is accessed... We'll get into that a little bit later. But <laughs> he does have a dark mode, and he also has access to Mickey cards, which Sora doesn't. Uh, his level up progression is also a little bit different. Instead of being able to level up your health points, your card points, and your slights, Riku levels up his health points, attack points, and dark points, which again, we'll get into a little bit when we talk about uh, Riku's 
unique combat. So let's actually jump straight into that combat. So again, it's a card-based battle system, but it is also in real time. It isn't turn-based. Uh, you play as you go. Uh, there are four types of cards. Now there's a physical attack card represented by keyblades. Uh, there's there are magic cards. There are summon cards like you summon genie simba just like in the first game and then there are item cards now the item cards are a little bit different from the items in the first game in the first game you had like potions ethers elixirs and they would refill uh your health your magic and that was pretty much it but the potions ethers and elixirs in card form uh replenish your cards now the cards themselves are ranked from 0 to 9. They have a certain value. Um, basic math, <laughs> if you play a, uh, a rank 1 card, your opponent plays a rank 2 card, their card beats your card. Easy. Uh, now, 0 cards break all cards and slights, but of course, 0 cards can be broken by anything as well. Um, breaking a card involves... Like I said, playing either a higher number card than your opponent or playing a zero card. And when you break your opponent's card, you cancel their attack and you stun your opponent. But again, that goes both ways. So if you play something, they play something higher. It cancels your attack and it stuns you, leaving you open for another attack. We also have enemy cards, like there's, uh, there's Jafar cards, there's Ursula cards. All manners of enemies that you see in this game are represented in card form later on. Um, these cards will have special attributes, like the Jafar card allows you to play cards without them getting broken for, I think, like 20-something attacks. And then, like, the Maleficent card makes your card stronger, but slows down your reload time. So, also, there is a, <laughs> there is a uh, guideline set on your deck. Uh, cards cost card points. So uh, the higher value the card, the more it costs to put into your deck. So you can't just load up your deck with high value cards without upgrading your card points through the level up system. But I did talk about reloading just now. Let's touch on that for just a second. So eventually your battles will get to the point where you cycle through every single card in your deck. You've used them all. At that point, you're able to reload your cards. You're really able to reload them at any point, but when you run out of cards is when you're absolutely going to need to reload your deck. Now, every reload for Sora is a set amount of time, and each time you reload your deck, it takes longer to reload those cards. Uh, Riku, however, when he reloads his deck, it's instant, immediate. Um, there are also, like we talked about, item cards, like potions, high potions, that can also reload your cards instantly, as well as reload cards that would normally be unusable because you use them at the beginning of a slight. Now, what is a slight? So slights are sets, are basically combinations of cards. Uh, you can combine cards in sets of three, and the value of this combination, of this slight, is the sum of all three cards that you use in the set. Now these slights consist of different special attacks like familiar ones from the first game like Sonic Blade, Ars Arcanum. Uh, if you combine certain summons, like if you, you can summon Cloud, if you summon 
if you use three of your cloud cards to uh, do a slight, it would be Omni Slash. Uh, you could also upgrade your magic, like if you use a fire card normally, you get a fire spell. But if you use three fires in a slight, you get Faraga. Same with Blizzard, same with Thunder, on and on and on. The only downside of these slights is that anytime you use a slight, the first card in your slight goes away. You can't reload that without using like a high potion or item cards like that now this gameplay was again drastically different from the normal kingdom hearts format and you can tell that it wasn't super popular because you don't see this card system anywhere else in the rest of the series you do see a form of it in jupiter's later game the world ends with you but it's drastically different. This was kind of a, uh, a test run for the card-based system. And later on, the game, The World Ends With You, perfected it. And again, we will be talking about that game later on down the line in the series because they do make an appearance. So now that we've got that complicated gameplay out of the way, I hope I explained it as well as I could. If not, I am sorry, and it sounds a lot more complicated than it is. In practice, you kind of get the gist of it as you go. But before we jump into the story, let's touch briefly on the remake of Chain of Memories, also known as RE Chain of Memories, that was released on initially on the PlayStation 2 and later bundled in the Kingdom Hearts 1.5 collection for the PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4. Initially, it was released on uh, March 29th of 2007 in uh, Japan, and almost two years later was released in North America, that being on December 2nd of 2008. Now, this game is notable for being a complete overhaul of the Chain of Memories game. Uh, you see in a lot of collections or when they remaster a game, they're basically just cleaning up the game, porting it over to another console. This, not so much. This was a complete remake using the same basic gameplay and story but with completely overhauled graphics for the playstation 2 this is of course a shift from the 2d environments of the game boy advance to the full-on 3d environments of the playstation 2 um, many if not all of the scenes in the game were converted to fully voiced cutscenes they also added additional cutscenes, new boss battles, uh, they reworked the Hundred Acre Wood, the Winnie the Pooh world, initially in the Game Boy Advanced uh, game. It was just the bare bones that it could be. You basically walked Winnie the Pooh from one side of the screen to the other side of the screen, talking to his friends where he's in Hundred Acre Wood. It is a full-on level mostly involving mini-games, because that's kind of what the Hundred Acre Wood is to the Kingdom Hearts series. Uh, they also brought in new slights. They added high jump, glide, and super glide to Sora's abilities in the overworld, making traversing through certain floors way easier. Uh, there were certain environmental changes. They changed a lot of the backdrops to make them a little bit more 3D friendly, though 
because they were still the confined rooms, it almost leaves the rooms looking a little bit more empty because it is in a 3D aspect. Uh, for Riku specifically, they added a dual mode where it's basically I declare war, like you initiate the duel and you and your opponent throw out cards to break the other until the time runs out. And if you've broken all of your opponent's cards, you win. So they also removed the uh, battle mode, but added a fear mode, which at the end of the game, once you've beaten both Sora's story and Rika's story, you can go back, watch all the cutscenes that you want. They also divided the final battle of Sora's story from two parts into three parts, which makes, for me, the final battle a little bit more epic. Uh, the backdrop for the final sequence in the boss fight is really cool. They also did some minor story changes. Nothing huge, but little bits here and there, like certain people who were killed one way in the initial game are killed in a different way in this game. But overall, the story is intact. But one thing you might notice playing this game, and it's one thing that bugged the hell out of me when I first played it, was uh, this game was released in 2007 and later on in 2008 after Kingdom Hearts 2 was released. Which means Haley Joel Osment, the voice of Sora, had grown up a little bit. The initial game was released in 2002. He sounded like a younger kid. Well, during the process from Kingdom Hearts 2, or Kingdom Hearts 1 to Kingdom Hearts 2, his voice got progressively deeper, and as he grew up. So, you see in this game, which is supposed to take place maybe a day after the first game, Sora having the voice that he has in Kingdom Hearts 2. Now, that may not bother a lot of people, but it bothers me, but that's just me. So, that's... RE Chain of Memories kind of in a nutshell. Uh, you can, again, you can find it in the 1.5 Remix for PlayStation 3, or preferably in the 1.5 plus 2.5 Remix for PlayStation 4 that has almost all of the games in the series. So now that we have all that out of the way, thank you for sticking with me through getting all of the uh, gameplay mechanics and other stuff. We can jump into the main event, the story for this game. I'm going to let you know right now, the story gets a little confusing, it gets a little convoluted. This was the first foray into a wider world for Kingdom Hearts, involving a lot of original ideas. You saw in the first game, there was a lot of Disney influence, a little bit of Final Fantasy influence, but a lot of uh, Disney influence on the main story. The For most of the game, the main villains were a collection of Disney villains. This game started to introduce new characters and new antagonists that would later on impact and affect the story going forward throughout the rest of the series. Um, it's also a lot longer than I remember it being, the, uh, the story aspect of it. So this is why the episode is coming out a little bit later than I would have liked. Because doing all my notes on this was a labor of love. And obviously, spoilers, of course, we're going to be going through the story. If you haven't listened to the first episode of this retrospective series, go back, pause this, go back, listen to that, come back here, I'll wait. 
Okay, you're back? All right. I was getting worried about you there for a second. Great episode, right? So with all of the caveats out of the way, let's jump right into the story for Chain of Memories. When we last left our heroes, Sora, Donald, and Goofy had just defeated the Heartless. Sora, wielder of the Keyblade, searched throughout the universe for his friends Riku and Kairi after they were separated when their world, Destiny Islands, was consumed by darkness. The three heroes banded together, defeated Ansem, the Seeker of Darkness, and closed the door to darkness with the help of King Mickey and Riku. Following this, Sora, Donald, and Goofy found themselves on the road again on a nondescript road with green hillsides where they promised to find Riku and Mickey after they closed themselves in with the Heartless on the other side of the door. It's here when our heroes run into Pluto, who seems to have a letter from the king to give them. The three heroes chase after Pluto down the road, and our story begins here. Sora and company come to a crossroads. Uh, They end up I guess losing Pluto for the night, so they tuck in, and Sora is approached all of a sudden by a cloaked man. This man in the black coat draws Sora and company to a mysterious castle. They decide to go in and are welcomed by the black cloaked man to Castle Oblivion. The man says that within Castle Oblivion, to find is to lose, and to lose is to find. And Before they can continue their conversation, Donald, hot-headed as he is, tries to cast thunder on the cloaked man, but finds that he's unable to do so. The three heroes have forgotten all of the abilities that they gained throughout the first adventure. Now, this unknown man gives Sora a card. He says that to progress through the castle, he will need to use these cards, and these cards are created through Sora's memory. Each card contains an aspect of Sora's memory. With that, Sora, Donald, and Goofy head up to the first floor with a familiar image on the card that they were given. This card being Traverse Town. Traverse Town seems the same, but a little different at the same time. No one remembers him. When he inevitably runs into Leon, Yuffie, Aerith, and Sid, none of them remember him. None of them remember their previous adventure or having ever met him before. This is also the time where Sora learns of the card system when it comes to battling, but that's for gameplay. During this excursion, Sora, Donald, and Goofy battle the guard armor, just like in their first visit to Traverse Town. And strangely, once they do this, Leon begins to remember Sora, Donald, and Goofy. But they have no time to reminisce as Sora, Donald, and Goofy head through the doors up to the second floor. And it's on the second floor that they meet Axel. Fiery red hair, snarky attitude, and as he lists out the letters of his name, A-X-E-L, he says got it memorized. So they have a brief fight where Axel tests Sora's abilities, and following the battle, Axel gives another set of cards to Sora. 
also created from Sora's memories. It's at this point that we see that there's trouble brewing on both sides. We see that there's a little bit of um, trepidation for our heroes. Sora, Donald, and Goofy don't quite know what to do because they've almost come too far to turn back, but they know that through the ominous warning that to lose is to find and to find is to lose, the farther they go up this castle, the more that they're going to lose and the more that they're going to forget. Conversely, we also see that Axel is not alone, and Axel isn't the man that brought the trio to the castle in the first place. Axel is part of a group of other cloaked individuals, and these individuals are going to have a hand to play in the story as it progresses. We also see, a bit tucked away from the action, there's a silent blonde girl drawing what seems to be memories of Sora. Sora, Donald, and Goofy proceed to make their way through the floors of the castle, encountering Disney worlds that they had visited previously, all with the same people that they had met in their previous adventure, albeit with wiped memories and having no recollection of Sora or his friends. As they start to progress through these floors, Sora begins reminiscing about his home, his friends, Riku and Kairi, as well as a fourth person who he had never mentioned before. Uh, Donald and Goofy don't remember him ever mentioning this person before, but Sora's beginning to remember that on the island it wasn't just the three of them. There was another girl there. Sora forgot who this girl was, and his memories of her are scarce at best, but he decides that through this adventure he is going to remember who this girl was. This is also where we begin to see the plans for the antagonists take shape. We see that Axel is part of an organization. Now, we don't know at this point how many people are in this organization, but we do know that it contains Axel, the mysterious man that brought our heroes to the castle, as well as Larxene. Larxene is a sadistic, blonde, angry woman <laughs> who takes joy in seeing other people hurt. As Sora, Donald, and Goofy make their way through the castle, Larxene and Axel decide that another test is in order, but because Axel got to have his fun on the second floor, this time it'll be Larxene to challenge Sora. As she goes to leave, Axel tells her that he knows about the plan to take over the organization. Larxene shushes him, tells him that they don't know yet who they can trust with this plan, so to keep it to himself as she goes off to fight Sora. After she does leave, however, Axel says that she would have been wise to do that herself. This is when Larxene appears to our heroes after they have made their way through a couple of the floors of the castle. And Larxene, for some reason, also knows about this mysterious girl that Sora is beginning to remember. She challenges him to remember who this girl is as she attacks him. Sora is able to fend her off, but Larxene mocks him for not being able to remember this mysterious girl and retreats back further into the castle. 
it's at this point that Sora remembers that the name of this girl who had been on the island with Sora, Riku, and Kairi was named Namine. This is when we shift back to our antagonists, the organization members. Uh, we are introduced to Vexen, who is a long-haired, cynical scientist who shows up to see how Axel and Larxene are doing now that the Keyblade wielder is within the castle. It's at this point that Larxene notes that Vexen has taken a vested interest in Sora and wants to perform some kind of experiment. Vexen agrees, says that he's a scientist and that's what he does, and says that he's interested in testing out his newest experiment. Meanwhile, with Sora, they make their way through a couple more floors, and suddenly they run into Riku, the person that they that Sora at least has been looking for this whole time. Riku's there, and Sora tries to reunite with his friend, but Riku's acting different. He's not as welcoming, he's not friendly towards Sora, he says that Sora is selfish, he says that he's not a good friend, and he says that he, that being Sora, isn't strong enough to protect Namine. They have a battle, and then following that, Riku retreats back further into the castle. It's at this point that Sora remembers that he made Namine a promise, that one night when they were very young, there was a meteor shower near the islands. Namine was afraid, but Sora promised to protect her, and that if a meteor came their way, he would smack it back into the sky. It was at this point that Namine gave him her good luck charm, and Sora pulls out the good luck charm that Namine had given him. Strangely enough, Sora mentions nothing about the good luck charm that Kairi gave him near the end of their previous adventure, and seems to only have one good luck charm, and that being from Namine. As Sora, Donald, and Goofy continue to make their way through the castle, they have a number of run-ins with Riku. Each time, Riku is acting more menaced, more frantic, more angry towards Sora for abandoning him, for abandoning Kairi, and of course, for forgetting about Namine. But as our heroes start to make th their way through more floors, Sora begins to forget about Kairi altogether, focusing solely on Namine and rescuing her. Having been informed that she is in the castle and she's waiting for Sora to save her. It's around this time that we go back to the organization as they're scheming, they're plotting, and this is when we're introduced properly to the man who brought Sora, Donald, and Goofy to the castle. His name is Marluxia. He is a pink haired pretty boy who uses a scythe and he is extremely dangerous. <laughs> And it's here that we find out that Marluxia is the head of the castle. He's the man in charge. He's the one who has put together this scheme. And this scheme is using the castle's properties against Sora. They see how powerful Sora is. They see that he can wield the Keyblade unlike any other person around right now. So their plan is to allow Sora to make his way through the castle, losing memory after memory after memory after memory. And once he's a blank slate for them to use, Marluxia will use Sora and the Keyblade to overthrow the organization. We know that he and Larxene are in on this plan, 
and Axel kind of is, but not really, since he seems to be having ulterior motives of his own. Vexen arrives and is noticeably frustrated because his Riku hasn't been able to defeat Sora as of yet. So Marluxia lays down the challenge for Vexen. Go after Sora himself and prove that he's not a useless scientist. Once Vexen leaves, however, Marluxia tells Axel that Vexen is a threat to their plans and that Axel needs to eliminate him. Vexen arrives and attacks Sora, and after an initial scuffle, gives him a card that he says are made from the memories of the other side of his heart. He then escapes, and Sora giving chase uses his new card to access a town that is completely new to him. He says he's never been there before, but it seems familiar to him. This town is Twilight Town. Somehow, this floor was made from Sora's memories, but Sora can't remember a time that he ever visited Twilight Town. Shaking off the uneasy feeling, Sora, Donald, and Goofy pursue Vexen to the outside of a strange mansion where they have their rematch. Sora is able to defeat Vexen, and it's at this point that Vexen starts to clue Sora into the organization's motives. He starts to talk about how Sora's memories have been twisted, how he's going to be used, and how if he proceeds further, then all hope will be lost. At this point, Axel arrives and kills Vexen in cold blood to silence him. It's actually a pretty cool scene where... Uh, Vexen is cowering in fear, and Axel, without any remorse or any emotion, snaps his fingers, and Vexen explodes. So yeah, Axel basically tells Sora, Hey, never mind. Just don't worry about what he said. Here's a card for the next floor. We'll see you later. And then he leaves. Sora, Donald, and Goofy begin to make their way up to the 12th floor until they're attacked again by Riku. And after another battle where Sora is able to turn him away, they begin to argue about who should be able to rescue Namine, and Riku begins to tell him about a promise he made to Namine. He tells Sora the story of a night when they were very young. There was a meteor shower near the island. Namine was very scared, but Riku said that he would knock away a meteor if it came near her and that he would always protect her. And after making this promise, Namine gave him her special good luck charm, and he brandishes the exact same good luck charm that Namine gave to Sora. Sora shows him his good luck charm as well, and Riku is overcome with doubt and frustration. But before they're able to get to the bottom of this, Riku escapes again. It's following this that Sora starts to get impatient. He doesn't know what's going on. He's confused. He's angry. He feels like Namine is in the castle somewhere waiting for him to save her, but he's been wasting time battling Riku and fighting all these black-cloaked people. Donald and Goofy start to doubt what's going on, and they ask him, you know, why do you guys have the same memory? Why do you have the same charm? This doesn't feel right. But Sora, who has been up until now very level-headed, lashes out angrily at them and abandons them as he proceeds into the 12th floor. Meanwhile, Namine, who has been held captive by the or- 
Our neighbor's dog is a big fan of nominees. And of Kingdom Hearts in general. It's, it's her favorite video game series. <laughs> um, oh, where was I? Uh, Namine, who has been held captive by Marluxia and company, has been longing for Sora to rescue her. We find out that Marluxia's plan to wipe Sora's memory is only made possible because Namine has the power to alter memory. The entire Castle Oblivion is based around her ability to rewrite and restructure the memories of whoever she chooses. So they've been forcing her to change Sora's memories as he proceeds through the castle. However, Axel comes up to her following killing Vexen and tells her, hey, nobody's around. It's just you and me. I'm not going to stop you if you want to leave. So Namine, wanting to see Sora, books it, leaves goes after him meanwhile sora arrives at the 12th floor alone and this 12th floor it's destiny island he's back home for the very first time since the beginning of kingdom hearts one at this point destiny islands is again overtaken by darkness he has a rematch with the giant heartless dark side and defeats it yet again it's at this point that nominee arrives and reveals to sora that she has been manipulating his memories that there was never a promise that she was never on destiny islands and that she had effectively replaced the girl that he cares about the most the girl that he had been chasing after and the girl that he had made a promise to bring her good luck charm back but sora for whatever reason can't remember her name Namine tells him to try to remember because she is the key to his lost memories after leaving the 12th floor, Sora is again confronted by Riku, and they have one last battle. This time, Riku is able to overtake Sora and goes in for a killing blow until Namine forces him to stop. She does this by breaking the chain of memories inside Riku's heart, effectively rendering him comatose. It's at this point that Larxene returns and reveals to Sora that the Riku that he has been interacting with during this adventure was nothing more than a clone of Riku made by Vexen. This entire time he's been battling a replica of Riku. Riku was never here. Riku had never interacted with him at all in this castle. And this is just devastating for Sora. He can't believe that he lost Riku again. He doesn't know where he is. The entire time he's been fighting this person he thought was Riku was not, and he is just overcome by anguish. He lost his two closest friends, Donald and Goofy, because he was chasing after Namine, who he just found out wasn't ever his friend to begin with. He is just distraught, he's broken, and that's when Larxene goes in for the killing blow. Until Donald and Goofy return, defending Sora and saying that they're always going to be friends no matter what. And it's with Donald and Goofy's help that Sora is able to defeat Larxene, and as she fades away, she promises that it's not supposed to be how this ends. Namine then fully explains to Sora Marluxia's plan, that she was to rewrite his memories so that he could be used as a weapon for Marluxia to 
overthrow the rest of this bigger organization. She also promises to fix Sarah, Donald, and Goofy's memories, but to do that, they have to get through the 13th floor, where Marluxia is definitely waiting for them. Meanwhile, on the 13th floor, Axel approaches Marluxia, and Marluxia reveals that he has figured out that Axel is betraying them. Axel reveals that he was sent to Castle Oblivion to dispose of any traitors to the organization, and that he has been systematically working his way through the traitors, and that only Marluxia is left. They have a short battle, but Axel isn't able to defeat Marluxia before he reveals that he has recaptured Namine and uses her as a human shield to defend himself against Axel. Axel, of course, shrugs this off and says that that's not going to stop him. And at this point, Marluxia says, oh, did you hear that? Did you hear that, Sora? He's willing to go through Namine. Axel turns around and he finds that Marluxia has manipulated Sora into thinking that Axel is trying to hurt Namine. Genius move. Total dick move, too, at the same time. Marluxia escapes with Namine, and Axel is forced to fight Sora. Sora defeats Axel, and Axel seems to fade away just the same way that Larkseen did. Sora, Donald, and Goofy then pursue Marluxia to rescue Namine. Marluxia continues to use her as a shield, but before they know it, the replica of Riku appears again, having been saved by Namine, and attacks Marluxia, rescuing Namine and allowing Sora, Donald, and Goofy to fight him at last. And Sora defeats Marluxia, but unfortunately, the Marluxia he just defeated was merely an illusion. Merely a copy that Marluxia created. And Marluxia reveals that he is waiting for Sora behind the final door in Castle Oblivion. Sora prepares to head through the door for his final battle, and the Riku replica promises to keep Namine safe. Sora goes in, defeats Marluxia for real this time and is able to put an end to this whole sordid saga. After this, the Riku replica leaves. He says that he's just a copy, but he needs to find his purpose. So he leaves into the depths of the castle to find where he fits in this world. Namine gives Sora and company a choice. She says that she can fix his memories just fine. She didn't destroy or erase any of his memories she merely manipulated the chains of Sora's memories unlinked them and relinked them with memories that she crafted so the memories are still there however there is a price for Sora Donald and Goofy to regain the memories that they had lost during their adventure in the castle they would have to unlink all of the memories that they made in the castle that means if they chose to get their memories back from before entering the castle, they wouldn't remember anything that happened here. They wouldn't remember anything about the organization, about Namine, or anything. So she gives them a choice. You can either keep the memories that you have gained in the castle and cast away the memories that you had beforehand, or you can get your memories back from before the castle, but forget everything that happened here. After a thought, Sora chooses to get his old memories back. But Jiminy Cricket, who we 
I realize haven't really spotlighted as much in this story um, tells Naminé that they will remember and he makes a note in his journal to thank Naminé so that way even though they'll forget what happened here they'll remember to thank her for something so Naminé brings Sora, Donald, and Goofy to a room within the castle containing this giant pod and tells him that he'll be resting in there while she reworks his memories, while she breaks the chains and re-stitches uh, them back together. Sora can tell that Naminé's sad, though. Naminé had spent this whole time wanting to meet Sora and wanting to be his friend, and now Sora's gonna forget her. But Sora promises her that he'll find her, that no matter what happens, he promises to continue to be her friend and to find her after everything is all said and done. She takes that promise with a smile and begins the process to rework Sora's memories. Sora, Donald, and Goofy go to sleep, and it's at this point that Sora finally remembers Kairi. And before he goes into his deep sleep, Sora has one last conversation with Naminé, where he promises that no matter what happens, they'll always be friends. That though their friendship may be forgotten, it won't be lost. So that's the main story for Chain of Memories. Uh, there are some post-credits scenes during the credits. Um, we see that making his way through the castle the Rika replica is found by axel who somehow survived his final battle with sora we also see that kairi is waiting for sora and riku back on destiny islands we also see glimpses of a mysterious boy in twilight town um, the real twilight town i'm assuming and it's a blonde-haired boy that we haven't seen before but he's going to be important important for later we also see in a final shot that there are more members of this organization. Probably the members that Marluxia was planning to overthrow, but that there are at least a half dozen of them still waiting. And that's going to be a problem later on. However, the story does not end there. No, 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 no. <laughs> Because while Sora was in the castle, unbeknownst to him, Riku also made his way into the castle as well. This is the story of Reverse Rebirth, which is Riku's campaign in the Chain of Memories game. So let's dive right into that as well. It is considerably shorter than Sora's campaign. We're at just over 51 minutes here. So um, I will try and fit this in as much as I can. So let's dive into it. Riku awakens in the basement of Castle Oblivion, not knowing how he got there. The last thing that he remembers is closing the door to darkness with King Mickey. He is led by a mysterious voice through the basement and arrives in Hollow Bastion. Somehow, this basement allowed him to go back into Hollow Bastion, and he reunites with Maleficent, who tries to once again goad him into the darkness. However, Riku has changed a lot since that uh, initial partnership in the first game, so he chooses to fight Maleficent and defeats her. Following this, he leaves Hollow Bastion and finds himself on the first floor basement 
of Castle Oblivion and is confronted by Ansem, who somehow has survived. And Ansem wishes to use Riku once again to be his vessel and take him back over so that he can continue his campaign of darkness on all of the worlds. However, this physical manifestation of Ansem is turned away by a blinding light with a familiar voice. Mickey is somewhere in the castle, and through his connection to Riku, is able to interact with him and guide him through the floors of the basement. Riku vows to resist the darkness and escape this castle, no matter how many floors he has to fight through. However, before leaving, Ansem awakens the darkness in Riku's heart once again, and that'll come in later on. Meanwhile, also somewhere in the basement beneath the castle, organization members Zexian, Luxeus, and Vexen are scheming. They don't know what's going on topside. They know that Marluxia, Larxene, and Axel seem to be acting strangely. That's right, this campaign runs parallel to Sora's. And as we go through, you'll see the impact of Sora's story on Riku's. Anyway, Zexion, Lexeus, and Vexen aren't sure what the topside trio are up to, but they do know that they now have a visitor in the basement of the castle. And Zexion notes that this new visitor seems to have a familiar scent, similar to the leader of the organization. As Riku makes his way through the basement levels of Castle Oblivion, Zexion, Lexeus, and Vexen identify him and realize that this could be interesting because another young hero has just entered the castle. Sora has just arrived, and Vexen seems to have a vested interest in what would happen if Sora and Riku did battle. To this end, Vexen approaches Riku and gathers data on him to use in an experiment that he's got down the line. Meanwhile, Zexion is starting to catch on to the idea that Sora might not have happened upon the castle by accident and that Marluxia may be plotting something. Meanwhile, Riku, making his way through the basement, is suddenly confronted by himself. This Riku explains that he is a copy created by Vexen and that he was built specifically to test Riku's strength. And to that end, they battle. Riku ends up defeating the replica, who escapes telling him that doesn't matter if he's a fake, he's still new and that he's only going to get stronger. Following this, Vexen deems that his Riku replica is a success and decides to head topside to see what he can do with him. This is when we get the scene of Vexen and the Riku replica arriving to Larxene, Axel, and Marluxia, telling them that he has an experiment he'd like to try out. But I know what you're thinking. Wait a second. During Sora's campaign, Riku, the replica anyway, thought he was the real Riku. But this replica knows that he's a replica. How did that happen? Well, let me tell you how that happened. So... For the experiment to be a success, Larxene, Marluxia, and Vexen decide that the replica needs to believe that it's Riku. It needs to have all of his convictions, all of his emotions, and all of his strength, or else they won't be able to manipulate Sora into moving further into the castle. The replica, of course, doesn't like this idea. He likes the idea of knowing that he's a better version of Riku. But Larxene attacks him, 
and the last that we get to see of the replica is him shrieking in fear as Larxene approaches him. Of course, we can surmise that this is when Marluxia and the other organization members use Namine to rewrite the replica's memories to believe that he's the real Riku. Following this rewriting of his memories, the replica is sent after Sora, and it's at this point that we learn that Namine is Kairi's shadow. We're not sure exactly what that means yet, but later on we will get to explaining what exactly it means for Namine to be Kairi's shadow. Meanwhile, downstairs, some time passes, and Zexion and Lexeus observe that Vexen has been destroyed by Axel. Zexion at this point has caught on to Marluxia's plot to overthrow the organization, and they decide that if Marluxia is going to use a young hero against the organization, maybe they can use a young hero against Marluxia. They decide that they are going to unlock the darkness in Riku's heart and use that as a weapon against Sora and Marluxia. To this end, Lexeus confronts Riku, telling him to embrace his darkness. And through their battle, it's shown that Riku is holding back, that Riku is afraid of his darkness, that he is resisting using it, and because of that, Lexeus defeats him. However, after losing consciousness, Ansem possesses Riku and kills Lexeus. Lexeus admits that this probably wasn't a fight that he should have started, and fades away. Riku, meanwhile, is fading into the darkness of his own heart, until Mickey's light is able to rescue Riku and restore him back to being in control of his body. Meanwhile, Axel arrives in the basement and approaches Zexion because Larxene has just been destroyed. The two talk about who they believe is going to be next because at this point in the story, there's only three of them left in the castle. Axel, Marluxia, and Zexion. Axel reveals that he's already taken his beating from Sora, alluding to the previous fight that he had with Sora, and that after Sora defeated him, he didn't fade away. He just teleported out. And he says that he believes Marluxia is going to be the next one to fall. And lo and behold, Riku, arriving at the 12th floor basement, feels the entire castle shake, as presumably Sora's just defeated Marluxia. Zexion then arrives and confirms that the leader of the castle has been defeated and reveals to Riku that Sora is also in the castle. Zexion then gives Riku the 12th floor card and disappears. Riku enters the 12th floor basement and finds himself back home on Destiny Island. The moment is bittersweet, however, because soon the island begins to fall apart to the darkness, just as it did in the beginning of the last game. Zexion arrives and forces Riku to admit and face up to the fact that he caused the darkness to consume the island, that he was the one that opened the door and allowed the darkness to take their world. Following this, Riku finds Sora amongst the island, and Sora attacks him, saying that he is consumed by darkness and that he will use the light to cleanse him. Riku is then enveloped by light and begins to fade away. However, he is rescued by what seems to be Kairi, but we get a hint that it's not truly Kairi, but Namine working through an illusion of her. 
Riku is able to accept the fact that he is both light and dark and uses his power of darkness to defeat Sora. And it's at this point that we realize that Sora has been Zexion in disguise. The two battle and Riku is able to defeat him one-on-one. -on -one. Zexion escapes and is soon confronted by Axel, who has brought a friend with him. We saw in the post credits scene for Sora's campaign that Axel has rounded up the Riku replica. And it's here that the replica kills Zexion by choking him out and draining him of all of his life energy. Axel reveals that Zexion learned too much about what was going on and so had to eliminate him, leaving Axel the last man standing from the organization in the castle. Axel then promises the replica that he can be real if he defeats Riku, to which the replica is all for. Riku arrives at the 13th floor basement, but finds that he is unable to move. Ansem, through Riku's acceptance of the darkness, is gaining more and more control over Riku and is able to physically freeze him now, paralyzing him from moving. Mickey, however, has finally arrived to help Riku and uses his light to free Riku from Ansem's grasp for now. He also gives Riku the next and final card for the Castle Oblivion basements, and this card is Twilight Town. Riku is confronted then once again by Ansem, but Riku realizes that this Ansem doesn't seem to be the real Ansem. He seems to be a disguise. And that's when the Ansem illusion fades away and we are met by a strange bandaged man. This man is covered in red bandages from head to toe as well as a long flowing red cape. He introduces himself as Diz and is revealed as the person who brought Riku to the castle. Diz urges Riku to find Namine and make a choice and then disappears. Riku winds up outside of the strange mansion and has a final confrontation with the replica. They do battle one last time and Riku is finally able to overcome the replica for good. As the replica fades away, he voices that he's finally okay with being a replica as long as he's a replica of a strong-hearted individual like Riku. With that, Riku exits the basements and finds himself in the same room that Sora is asleep in in his pod. Namine introduces herself, tells him of all the things that had happened to Sora during his story in the castle. And it's here that Namine gives Riku a choice just like Sora's. She knows that the darkness is beginning to overtake Riku's heart, and she can save him from that. It's revealed that Ansem is growing stronger and stronger because of Riku's strong memories of being his vessel and being his unwitting pawn. And Namine says that she can take away, she can break, she can rewrite his memories so that he forgets all about Ansem. But doing so would get rid of every memory after Riku left the island. So Riku wouldn't remember the majority of the previous game or anything that happened here. Riku chooses to keep his memories and vows that he is going to defeat Ansem and accept his darkness. He and Mickey arrive at the first floor of Castle Oblivion, ready to leave. And it's here that they are confronted once more by Diz. Diz tells Riku that 
the organization is going to pursue him, that they will stop at nothing to gain the power that he has. So he gives them cloaks that are similar to the coats worn by the organization, saying that the coats will block him from the organization's sight and allow him to traverse through the worlds using the same methods that the organization does without getting swallowed up by the darkness. Following this, Mickey promises to help Riku no matter what happens, and Riku goes off to fight Ansem one last time. They have a climactic final battle where Riku finally defeats Ansem and takes control of his destiny once and for all. Riku admits to Mickey that Ansem is probably still somewhere in his heart deep down, but starting now, Ansem will never be able to control him again. The two friends leave Castle Oblivion and make their way to parts unknown to find out more about this organization while Sora sleeps and regains his memories. It's here that they come to the same crossroads that Sora initially found before Marluxia lured him to the castle. He, Diz offers Riku and Mickey a choice. They can either take the right path towards the light or the left path towards darkness. Riku decides that he's going to take neither and passes Diz going down a third path. Diz says, oh, so you're choosing the road of twilight, to which Riku responds, no, I'm choosing the road to dawn. Not yet. Not yet. Because Riku's story, Reverse Rebirth, also has a couple post credit scenes that are super crucial to the story going on. So during the credits, we see that Riku is starting to be affected more and more by the darkness during his travels with Mickey. Uh, we see the two of them making their way through Hollow Bastion, and Riku is physically in pain as the darkness is beginning to eat away at him. We also revisit the scene of the mysterious boy in Twilight Town, but we also see that Axel is interacting with him, including a scene of the two of them sitting on top of what looks to be a clock tower eating ice cream. There's some connection there, but we'll get there. We'll get there. In the final scene, we see that Riku has returned to Dizanamine back at the castle. However, he's different is blindfolded and notably absent is Mickey. At some point, he and Mickey split up. We don't know why. So that is the story of Chain of Memories. Uh, it's a, oh, it's a long one. We are just over an hour here. Thank you so much if you listened all the way through to this point. Um, I forgot how long and kind of convoluted the story was. So thank you for sitting and listening with me on going through this heavy, heavy story. Um, it's really interesting because this game, a lot of people passed it up. Not a lot of people actually played it initially when it first came out. So a lot of people were very confused when Kingdom Hearts 2 started up and we got uh, glimpses of the organization and stuff that happened in Chain of Memories. So um, it's, it's required reading. You have to play this game to know what's going on in Kingdom Hearts 2. Uh, you can just jump from one to two, but you're going to be super confused for most of the game. Um, I think that this is actually like a, a really good story. I'm not super 
Uh, I'm not a huge fan of what they really did to Sora, especially around the time that he starts becoming really angry and lashes out at Donald and Goofy. But at the end of the game, they kind of hit the reset button on him, so when we do see him in Kingdom Hearts, he's back to happy-go-lucky kid. Uh, I'm really, really excited about this series. I got a really positive response from the first episode and i'm excited to continue doing the series i hope you liked this episode just as much as the first episode um you can let me know uh feel free to tell me if you liked it if you didn't like it uh what i could fix what i could make better if i could streamline anything just let me know uh you can reach me to complain or compliment me at uh on twitter at Geeksplained Pod. That's at Geeksplained P O D. You can also send me emails because I'm an old man and I read emails. You can send any emails at all to Geeksplained at gmail.com. Um, just want to say thanks for listening. Uh, this is a lot of time being put into uh, this series. I don't know if I mentioned in the previous episode, but I'm playing through these games. <laughs> I'm playing through these games for the first time in probably like around a decade. And it's crazy to me to think that it's been that long since I've played these. But I'm getting to play through these games again and re-experience the story. So I'm right along the ride with you guys. So uh, each month I've been playing through the game. Right now I am neck deep in Kingdom Hearts 2. I'm really excited. It's probably, I would say it's probably my favorite game in the series, though... Another game later on in the series might take that spot. We'll see. Um, I'm just... I'm having a blast with this. And I do apologize for it being late. And I do apologize for uh, sounding... I'm sure you can tell I'm a little stuffy. Allergies have been killing me uh, these past couple weeks. So if I sound a little stuffy, I apologize. Hopefully by the next episode this will clear up a little bit. And you will be able to get the pristine audio quality that you're used to. So um, I think that's it for me. Overall, really, really enjoyed the game, really enjoyed the story. Looking forward to the next episode. Um, Kingdom Hearts 2 will be dropping first week of September. I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm going to throw a challenge out there. If you have listened all the way through to this point, uh, I'm going to set a challenge down for you. First of all, thank you again for listening through this. But uh, if you've listened all the way to this point, tweet at me tweet again at geeksplained pod and tell me your favorite um tell me your favorite disney world that you encountered in the first game uh the first kingdom hearts had a bunch of disney worlds so tweet at me tell me what disney world from the first game was your favorite and i look forward to it i love talking to you guys i love having conversations uh, about this stuff i'm passionate about all things uh, geek culture. So um, I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys. So I will go ahead and wrap that up here. Another episode down. We are working our way slowly through this uh, retrospective as we continue the march on to Kingdom Hearts 3. So for Geeksplain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.